a faithful God, and our response is, O come, let us adore him. Let us worship him. Christ Jesus the Lord. Take your Bibles, please. Turn with me tonight in the book of Galatians, chapter 1. Galatians, chapter 1. We looked this morning at the introduction, the first five verses. And tonight we continue on as Paul begins the letter in earnest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come now to the scriptures, thank you for stirring our hearts to the, um, the direction of the cross and thinking of the Lord Jesus and his saving work and your faithfulness and our response of worship and adoration. I pray, Father, that tonight we would be changed, men and women, boys and girls, that with our focus on the cross, everything else would fade away and we would be satisfied in the sufficiency of the cross. We would just be so grateful for the cross and its, its message of liberty from sin. So I pray tonight that we would be men and women of discernment, that we would really understand the truth of the word of God and be able to spot error instantly. But I also pray that we would be seeking your approval in our life, that we would do that which pleases you and not seeking to please men. So thank you again, Father, for the text of Scripture. May Jesus be praised. Amen. So this morning we see that Paul identified himself right away as an apostle. The enemy had crept into the Galatian churches. What a devastating attack. No sooner had Paul left the Galatian churches, at least four of them that we know, Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, no sooner had he gone back to his own city, to his own church, than false teachers crept in. And the first thing they did was discredit the apostle Paul. Can you imagine they walked in after Paul had preached the gospel and established the church? They walked in saying, wait a minute, was Paul here? You have to realize Paul's not one of the twelve. He may come in saying he's an apostle, but he's not one of the twelve. He never saw the risen Savior. He didn't go with Peter, James, and John from the baptism of John to the ascension of Jesus. He wasn't around for those three years. Paul was a Pharisee during those three years. You'll take his word, take our word. You want to be in the family of God? You must go through some religion, some rituals. You must be circumcised. Come into the Jewish family, then we can get started. Okay, that's what they were doing. They were taking the gospel and perverting it, reversing it. No longer by grace alone, but now by grace or by, by works, by works of the law is what they were teaching. And they followed Paul, and they kept after him. And whatever church he established, they sought to do that same thing, to undermine his work by his both authority. And so Paul starts out an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. And then he goes right in the introduction and states his message, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. It's not a religion, it's not a ritual, it is a person. So tonight, I have three points for you. My first point, and it just happened to be three. I don't deliberately choose that. I, know, I think that's what they teach you in seminary, but since I didn't go there, I didn't learn that. But, but it does end up ni- breaking nicely into three points, and so let me give them to you. First of all, we're going to talk about Paul's wonder. He is absolutely astonished at something that took place. Like, marveling. Not in a good sense, but in a shocked sense. Secondly, we're going to look at his warning. He has got a severe, severe warning for the church. This is such a unique letter. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the churches that he founded, he always is like this. I thank my Lord Jesus always for you, making mention of you always in my prayer. And I commend you for all of the gifts of grace that God has given you. And he's always 
encouraging and commending the people. Not here. No sooner does he finish his salutation than he's like, I'm astonished at you, Galatians. No thanks to God, no commendation. Simply, I'm astonished and now you're warned. I'm going to give you a warning. By the way, you get the warning tonight as well because you're here. So you're going to get the warning that Paul gave us and I'm going to get it as well. And then third, we're going to see Paul's worship. We're going to see Paul's focus on who he sought to please in his life. And you already know the answer. But let's begin. Verse 6. What is Paul's astonishment? What is his wonder? It begins in verses 6 and 7. Here's what Paul says. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So there he puts it right out. He's astonished. He is absolutely shocked that his children, the men and women of Galatia, Antioch, Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, would so quickly, they turned quickly. No sooner was he out the door than they came, somebody else came in and they believed that message. How could they be so fickle? How could they be so lacking of discernment that they would simply assume whatever anybody's teaching them is true? Hey, it happens all the time today, doesn't it? You hear a message in church, you're reading the Bible, you're, you're having some solid teaching, and you turn on the radio or the TV, and what do you find? A lot of hucksters out there, a lot of men who are preaching um, liberalism and modernism in the church. And you know what believers do? Oh, man, Joel Osteen, think your way to happiness? Oh, man, I'm thinking happy. I'm happy. I'm thinking I'm rich. I'm rich. And I have seen godly men and women go off and follow these marketeers that are propagandizing religion with no foundation in the cross. It happens this quick in our day as well. Not so for you, I pray, but it happens all the time. Could it happen to you? Could it happen to us this week? Absolutely. I have seen solid biblical churches and organizations like colleges and seminaries completely in my lifetime of only being a believer 20 years go from standing here to standing here and to standing closer to the world and closer to the world. I have seen it in 20 years. I have, I have seen people take the gospel and then begin to say, well, let's, not, let's be a little bit more open so that we can include everybody. You know, I'm asked to be in the ministerial society in Hermantown all the time. But I refuse. I cannot be a part of it because their gospel is not our gospel. And so I can't. And at one time, I received a lot of issue from it from different pastors. They'd come, come on, you're saying your church, Faith Baptist, is better than ours? I'm like, hey, no, we're not better. We're just holding fast to one message. It is the message of the gospel. If you have the gospel message, well, then let's talk. But if you're not, if you have gospel plus works... You know, Jesus plus works. There's nothing that we can agree on. And so, this is a big issue in, in the church today, as it was. Listen to what Paul says. He's astonished that you are turning away so soon, so quickly, from him. When you turn away from the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, you're not turning away from a doctrine. You are turning away from a person. The person of Jesus Christ. As I said this morning, he came to earth, born in the flesh. When he died on the cross, he 
paid your penalty, your sin penalty. A person paid your penalty, not a doctrine, but a person of Jesus who loves you and died for you. And for you to turn your back on the gospel, you are turning your back on a person. But what are you turning it to? He says this, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace, in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. This word different, it's the word heteros in the Greek, meaning different of not even the same kind. Different of not even the same kind. There's no comparison to it. When they turned from faith in Jesus to faith plus works, it was an entirely different gospel. It was not even the same. It could not even be, what does gospel mean? Good news. It could no longer be called good news because now people had to work for their salvation. They had to do something to gain God's honor and favor. They were turning from a person to a religious system. Now, isn't that crazy? But the church has done that on a broad scale. How many people went to church today in our country going through a religious system or a ritual. They went, they had confession, they did penance, they said prayers, they gave in the offering, and all of it to gain favor with Christ. To think, boy, if I do this, Jesus will find favor with me and someday maybe I'll get to heaven. If I just do enough of this, if I can just be good enough, if I can just do enough good works, I'll tell you what, that is the church. That is the church. The true gospel-preaching church, I think, is a very small part of that. A very, very small remnant left. But needless to say, Paul says this, you have turned from him to a different gospel. Now, if I were to say, hey, I'd like a watch like this, and you gave me a different watch, it would be maybe one with Roman numerals, or one with, that's analog, or maybe it would be one that is um, stainless steel, or one that has a second hand, or whatever. That would be a heteros watch. It would be completely different from this. It's a watch, but it's not a watch like this one. But look at the next phrase, verse 7. Which is not another. That's alas, a different Greek word. Paul says, you have turned from Jesus to a different gospel, which is not even a gospel. And, and then he says, which is not the exact same kind of gospel that I gave you. So he uses two different words, heteros and alas. So if I were to say, hey, I'd like a watch of the same kind, that's alas. That would be this one from this company that looks like this, that acts like this. It's just like this one. That is another gospel of the same kind. All right? But what the Galatians were turning to was something that wasn't a gospel at all. It wasn't even a gospel. So Paul says, how could you do that? How could you leave your bedrock truth? And then he says this, but there are some who trouble you. The idea of these false teachers, they came in and they caused confusion. To, to be troubled is to be stirred up. It's like the Sea of Galilee. I, I used to live in Israel, as you know, and I, um, I would work and go to school on the shores of the Galilee every day for nine months. And all morning, most often, the Sea of Galilee is absolutely calm, like a mirror. Honestly, it is just calm. And then at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, the trade winds have come across the Mediterranean Sea. They've heated up over the hot land of Israel from the coast all the way up the mountains. And then it gets to the Sea of Galilee about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then the wind sweeps down the hill because it's like a little the crater of a volcano is the Sea of Galilee. And the wind begins to whip around that like a tunnel. And it just whoosh. And you watch the water just get turbulent. And sometimes the waves begin out of nowhere, crashing against the shore. That's the word used. 
They come in to a calm, peaceful church, and what do they do? They cause trouble. Confusion. People don't know what's going on. What do I believe? Do I believe you? Do I believe you? Well, I don't like you, but I like... No, I don't like you. I like you. And there's confusion and there's turbulence just destroying and eating the church, which is why when we get to Galatians 5, Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, if you continue to bite and devour one another, you'll be consumed and your church is over. Shape up. Be gracious. Live in grace. He's going to talk about that. So these people came in, they brought trouble into the church, and they wanted to pervert the gospel of Christ. You leave the gospel, you are reversing the gospel. It is then not faith, but it is works of the flesh. Deeds or works of the law. So do you see why Paul is shocked? They have moved away from the person of Jesus. Now let's look at this. Let's look at his warning, verses 8 and 9, because I needed to spend most of my time on this text, verses 8 and 9. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Paul says this. Listen, everybody. Do you understand the gravity of this? Paul says, hey, I was there at your church and I'm now gone. If I come back to your church and preach a different gospel than Jesus' death and resurrection alone, if I preach a different one, or if an angel from heaven comes down in shining glory and stands in front of the church and says, you must believe this to be saved and it's different than what the Bible teaches or what Paul preached, Paul says, let us and the angel be accursed. Literally, Devoted to destruction. He's not saying, give them a slap on the hand and show them the way out and say, have a nice day. He says, let them go to hell forever. Ever and ever and ever. And let them never, ever, ever get out. This is strong. Passionate. Paul says, if I come back and I I teach something different, if an angel from heaven comes back or comes down and preaches something different, do not listen to them. For they should be cast immediately into hell. But then he says, look at verse 9. As we have said before, and I think this could refer not just to the previous verse, but when Paul was with them, hey, don't you think Paul as a good teacher would warn the people before he left? I think he did. And he says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, that's any false teacher, anybody that comes in the church now, not just Paul or an angel, if anyone comes in, and preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let him be devoted, especially, and consigned to hell in a special way by God himself. All right, this is pretty serious. Okay, so let me take you on a quick journey. Take your Bibles, go with me to Joshua chapter 6. I want to show you something. It's going to be just a short journey through the Bible, but it's worth it. It's worth it just because you have to see the passion behind it. And then I want you to see the complacency of the modern church. And I think you'll be shocked and amazed. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. You know the story. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And we have Rahab, who's going to get saved out of the city. But everything else is doomed to destruction. So the... City, the nation, the congregation of Israel has left Gilgal Day Camp. Hey, you guys, they were at Gilgal Day Camp. 
Not the same one we do, but they were at their own Gilgal day camp. And they left Gilgal. By the way, I've been down in Israel, and I've looked at where Gilgal day camp mostly was. I keep saying day camp. Gilgal camp was. They had to walk many, many, many miles just to get to the city, and then walk around at once and go back to their tents. And they had to do that for six days. Can you imagine on the sixth day? Joshua, what are we doing? We have to take a long hike in the desert. We walk around once and we go back to our homes, our tents. What are you doing? This is no way of warfare. Be patient, be patient. Tomorrow's the next, the seventh day. On the seventh day, what do they do? They go around seven times. They blow the trumpets and the ram's horns. And um, you have the priest with the Ark of the Covenant. Here's what's happening. Verse 17. Well, let's look at verse 16. And the seventh time it happened, when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now, look at what he says about the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. There's your word, accursed. Everything in Jericho was devoted to absolute destruction. So that's the first time you see the word, doomed for destruction in Jericho. Um, it and all who are in, in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. Look at verse 18. Look at all the times it's used. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Whoa. Don't touch anything in Jericho and don't take it. Destroy it. It's devoted to destruction. Do not try to rescue anything out of it. Well, hey, who's the man who rescued something? Achan. Achan. He's like, oh, a Babylonian garment? I can't let that go to waste. That's devoted to destruction, but I'm going to save it. And then he sees a wedge of silver and a wedge of gold, and he thinks, that can't be devoted to destruction. I've got to rescue it. And he rescues it. He buries it under his tent. He gets found out, and what happens? Achan, not only do you die, but your children and all of your animals get put into a pit and we cover them with stones. And then your wife goes in the pit, we cover her with stones, and then you. Can you imagine as Achan sees his children being put in that pit and being stoned to death? He must be thinking, that which God devoted to destruction, I tried to rescue. I tried to to get back. This is the concept of it, okay? So now let's go to the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, there are two things that are devoted to destruction. Do you know that? Two things that are accursed. You know one of them from Galatians. What is one of them? False teachers. If anybody preaches a different gospel, they are to also be devoted to destruction. They are to be cursed. I have not yet told you where to go. Go to Acts chapter 13. Quickly. Acts 13. And we might just hit the main passages, but I think this is going to be important. Acts 13. The first thing that God devotes to destruction in the New Testament is anybody who preaches false doctrine. Specifically, a false gospel. All right, Acts chapter 13. Look with me, please. This is on Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey. I'm looking at verse 8. But Elimas, the sorcerer, Acts 13, verse 8. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them. All right, they're preaching the gospel. Christ died for your sins and was buried, and on the third day rose from the dead. You must have faith in him alone. Elimas, the sorcerer, for his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. See, that is a false teacher. 
turning them away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks intently at him. You want to know some characteristics of false teachers today as they were in the, New, in the early New Testament? Here's what they are. Verse 10, he said, Oh, full of all deceit, a false teacher is full of lies because they are the father of lies, Satan himself. They are deceitful. Listen, it is so clever how these people are. They are full of deceit. I'll tell you what. I could just name one ministry after another that I've seen that do not preach the gospel, but they rake the money in from people. They are full of deceit. We also know, it says this, they are full of all fraud. He is the son of the devil, and he's an enemy of all righteousness. They, now, this person looked like it because he's a sorcerer. But do all false teachers look like that? Do they all look like sons of the devil or enemies of righteousness? Absolutely not. They're found in the church. They're found in the pews of the church. They're found in Sunday school classrooms. They're found in Bible college and seminary classrooms. They're found at administrative levels of colleges and seminaries. So this is a description of those false teachers. Go to 2 Corinthians, please. We do need to look at this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Here's another characteristic. Here's another picture of these false teachers. Hey, false teachers came into Corinth. You know what they were saying about Paul? They came in fat, fancy clothes, you guys. Nicer suits than this one. And this isn't really a nice one. But they came in with some shiny suits. And they came in probably driving a BMW. And Paul's got his chariot with one horse. And a broken door on his chariot. And... Um, And they come in with credentials, papers of recommendation, saying, so-and-so, wow, can they preach? Whoa, can these people perform? You need to have them in your church. Seriously, 2 Corinthians 3, remember if you were here when I taught the the whole text, the whole book of 2 Corinthians, they came with letters of recommendation, saying, hey, we've got eight names uh, that say that we've got the greatest ministry in the world. Have us here instead of Paul. You get Paul here, you're going to get nothing but sin, and you're going to be feeling bad because you're sinners, and you get us here, oh man, you're going to have the time of your life, barbecues and parties, and we're your ministers of choice. And so they had this going on. Now, then they were saying, look, Paul, he doesn't have a ministry. He's short. He's bald. He talks funny. He walks funny. You don't want that guy in your church. Man, he's never going to attract visitors like we will. Okay, this is what's going on in 2 Corinthians. So look at chapter 11. Here's what Paul says. He begins to talk about these false teachers in great, great detail now. Verse 2. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Paul says, Corinthians, I love you. I, I, you are like a chaste virgin, that I want you to meet your Savior pure someday. Not tramping in the world and having idolatrous relationships. I want you to be pure for Christ. Live for him alone. But look at the next verse. He's, Paul is afraid, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. Do you remember that story in the Garden of Eden? Oh, is that serpent crafty? Eve. Has God really said, come on, God's just trying to keep something from you. You eat this fruit, Eve, you are going to be 
as smart, or hey, even smarter than God. God thinks, he, he thinks you're going to keep following his rules, but if you just take this fruit, you'll really know. Then you'll be in charge. God's keeping something. And he is so crafty and so deceitful. But let's go on. By his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Corinthians, you're letting people in your church left and right, and you're going to be deceived just like Eve, and you're going to put up with a different Jesus and a different gospel. Hey, listen, you want to know how serious it got for the Corinthians? Verse 20. Listen to this. This is harsh. For you put up with, with it, you Corinthians put up with these false teachers, if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes from you, maybe takes money from them, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, you put up with it. Where is your discernment? These are false teachers in your midst. Can you imagine the Corinthian church? One of the false teachers comes in and they're like, all right, Paul's off the scene. It's you and I now. All right, you know, Paul says, you know, give freely to the Lord as he has prospered. No, you give $1,000 tonight. I'll make sure next week you get 2000 Oh, when you get home into your mailbox, there's going to be an extra check in there for you. I just know it. Give me your money. Please take it. We need it. This is what they were doing to the Corinthians. And then they were striking the Corinthians' face. I think literally slapping them on the face and the Corinthians were like, thanks, I needed that. Yeah, maybe I will give you some money. Oh, want more money? Oh, they were putting up with it. Where was their discernment? Here's why they were putting up with it. Look with me at chapter 11 now. Same chapter. Look at verse 13. Look at these false teachers. For such are false apostles. Again, we see that they're deceitful workers transforming themselves into what? Apostles of Christ. They had a way to transform themselves from their evil heart that was full of greed and covetousness. They were like plastic. They could conform to anything. They would transform themselves into, we're apostles representing Jesus Christ in the church of Jerusalem. Yes, you can trust us. We're like you. We love Jesus. They they transformed themselves into apostles of Christ. Look at verse 14. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, this is actual people that Satan uses, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, when Satan wants to destroy the church, I don't think he uses so much outward pressure. Granted, in our country, we're getting some pressure. We're getting some pressure from our culture. I don't doubt that at all. But I don't think that's Satan's game plan. You know what Satan has effectively done in churches since the Great Awakening? He has brought in liberalism, doubt of the scriptures. He has brought in modernism, where people deny the Lord Jesus and the virgin birth. They deny the gospel message. They deny a bodily resurrection. Hey, if I go to um, Super One out here in Pike Lake and I want to buy some groceries and I give the clerk this, um, are they going to accept this as a counterfeit? I mean, absolutely not. It's way too big to be a, hundred, a real $100 bill. Oh, $100 bill. Um, it's way too big. So this doesn't, this, why is this a bad counterfeit? 
It's not the same size. It's not the same color. But I do have one the same color here. And this one right here. This is a $22 bill. Now, now this is a good counterfeit. I think if they, if they, if at the grocery store, they're going to take this in a heartbeat, won't they? And the answer is, of course not. Because there's no way. It doesn't look like anything that's right. Now, if I really had an, I don't even have a dollar bill. I checked earlier. So I'm out there. But I was going to show you a real dollar bill and say, could this be counterfeit? But you get the idea. A counterfeit has to be as much like the original. The false teachers coming into Galatia, I don't think they did this. I don't think they came in saying, Paul's a bad guy, we're the good guys. Paul's message is bad, ours is good. I don't think they said that at all. I, thought they, I think they actually came in and said, hey, Paul, boy, does he have a ministry? He is busy, one busy boy. You know, and he preached Jesus. We love Jesus. Jesus died for our sins. Do you all agree? Jesus died for our sins. You know what Paul forgot to tell you, though? Back in Genesis, in your Bible, in Genesis 17, God said to Abraham, everybody who gets your blessings must be circumcised. Did he tell you that? He didn't, did he? But you know what? It's in Genesis 17. If you read it in your own Bible, really, it is. Honestly. And it says it's a covenant between Abraham's seed and God forever. So who is Paul to change God's forever? Genesis 17 says it. I'll show you the text. Now that's deceitful. That's a counterfeit. And they didn't, they didn't get it. They, didn't, they, they simply said, you're right, we need to go back under the law. It was so deceitful. And it was such a counterfeit. Does that happen in the church today? Absolutely it does. I think a large portion of the last 20 years of my life I have seen not so much persecution from a culture that doesn't love Jesus. I have seen non-believers who pretend to be believers that take and distort God's word. I mean, I did a funeral here and as I finished the funeral, I gave the gospel at the funeral. It was for somebody who was not a believer, but I still was able to present the gospel, Christ's death and resurrection. And as I was leaving the entryway with the family, the family was with me. A man said to me, who I didn't know at the time, he said, Pastor, you just sent this group to hell. He said that in front of the, the people, the family. I'm like, and they're looking at me like, you're sending us to hell? He's like, Pastor, you are, you are now guilty of sending all these people to hell. I was like, okay, come here. We gotta, so I took him outside and we, we talked and he said, listen, you told them that you have to trust Jesus' death and resurrection for eternal life. You left out where the Bible says in Galatians, believe and be baptized. To be baptized is to put on Christ. You never told them to be water baptized. You know what he is. A false teacher. And what does God say about false teachers? Let them be accursed. I could not let him propagate that. So that's serious. I mean, that was kind of blatant. But that happens all the time. You could have somebody sitting in, thinking a little different about the gospel. And next thing you know, the church is troubled. But I told you there's two, and we don't have time to go through the rest of the false teacher passages. I wish we did, but we don't. But I did tell you there's two things in the New Testament where God says, let this be accursed. One is false teachers, especially those who preach a different gospel. Does anybody know the second thing that God says, let them be accursed? 
Exactly, Ted. First Corinthians 16.22. If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. Let them be devoted to destruction. People, do you love Jesus? Like, do you really love Jesus? The biblical Jesus, the God of the Bible. That's whom we love. We just want to love him, right? We want to love him. So let's go back to Galatians and we'll wrap this up because the last verse doesn't need much explanation. Galatians chapter 1, please. Galatians chapter 1. Let's be those who are true in doctrine, but also those who are lovers of Jesus. Then, no cursing, no accursed, no, no ath- uh, anathema. So let's go back to quickly to uh, verse 8. Uh, well, let me read all of it now. Verse 6. I marvel, I'm astonished, I'm shocked that you are turning away so quickly, so soon, from him, the person of Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ. You went to a different gospel, which is not the same gospel I gave you. It's entirely different, which means it's not a gospel. But there are some who trouble you. They have come in, they have created confusion and division and biting and devouring, and they want to reverse the gospel of Christ. But even if we, the Apostle Paul and, my, and Barnabas, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Okay, now the last verse. You ready for it? The false teachers said this. They said, Paul... You cut half the gospel out about circumcision because you want to please the Gentiles. You don't want the Gentiles to have to go through a physical operation to become Jewish. So you're pleasing them. You're making it easy for the Gentiles to be part of the family of God. You're a man pleaser. And what does Paul say to that? Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Am I seeking, in other words, am I seeking the approval of men or of God in my message? Or do I seek to please men? Paul says, no way. For if I still pleased men, see, he used to be a man pleaser with his legalism, with his pharisaical thing about following rules. If he wanted to please men, he'd go back to rule keeping. That's a good way to please men. But if he wants to honor Christ, you keep the gospel alone. You leave it alone. Um, Paul says, hey, if I still pleased men, I then would not be a bondservant of Christ. I can only please Christ or man, and I'm choosing Christ. So the message stays the message. The gospel is the gospel. I'm not going to cater it. I'm not going to tone it down. I'm not going to distort it to, help, to make other people happy. I have not done that with the Gentiles. Everybody gets the same message. Now, next Sunday, we're going to continue looking at the text, and Paul's going to give his background, and then he's going to give us really three snapshots about how we know the gospel is the gospel. And it is fiery. It is passionate. It's good Bible teaching. It's really, I think, helpful for us to understand where we stand. So be grateful that we have a gospel-centered church, right? Here are my two applications. Number one, be discerning. Do not trust everything you read. Do not believe everything you hear. As a matter of fact, don't believe everything I tell you. You better look it up in the Word of God. And if it doesn't say what I'm saying it says, then I am wrong. You understand that, right? Just because I'm your pastor, you follow what I say according to the text of Scripture. And if the Scripture doesn't say it, 
then don't hold it as authoritative. Even if it's from your own pastor. Be a Berean. Make sure this is what the text says. You have wisdom and discernment. You have to use it. When it comes to radio, TV, books. Oh, books, huge thing. I don't care. Um, you name it. Be so careful what you read. Be careful what you look at and what you listen to. And then secondly, the, um, my last application is this. Let's not be men pleasers. Let's not try to change the message or tone the message down or even Christian living to cater to the world. We could fill this place in one second if we really, in one night, we could fill this church full of people. But that's not what we want. We want men and women who are disciples of Christ, followers of our great God and Savior. And so we're just going to be discerning, but also please Christ. What do we do? Let's please Christ. Let's honor him and delight him this week. All right, so be discerning men and women. All right, well, that's the time that we have tonight in our text. Continue reading. Next Sunday, we are going to begin in verse 11, and we're going to work our way through the text next Sunday morning and evening and see a lot about Paul's background and his apostleship. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for our time together. Um, We are passionate about truth, about the gospel. When people give a different gospel, I don't care if it's a Christian church that preaches a different gospel, if it's the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness, I don't care who they are. But Father, anyone who, who touches or tampers with the message of the gospel as recorded in the word of God is to be cursed by you, devoted to destruction. Oh, we are not to try to rescue their message. We are simply to pronounce the right one, preaching the death and resurrection of Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And so thank you, Father, for reminding us of our need for discernment in in an age when there is so much out there to tickle one's ears. And so help us to be faithful to the word and help us also to be pleasers of Christ seeking his approval in all that we do this week. Guide and direct our footsteps and our speech, our conduct, the things that we watch, and may all things be done for your honor and glory. Strengthen our church this week, Father, and help us to reach the last in our community. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.